If you like what you hear on this episode, you're going to want to come check out my new podcast called the Unfuck Your Brain Podcast. What you're listening to right now, The Lawyer's Stress Solution, has ceased production of new episodes. But Unfuck Your Brain is rocking and rolling. Every week, I release a new episode of the Unfuck Your Brain podcast, teaching you the same great tools for taming your brain, but with even more applications to other areas of your life. You can search for it by name. Remember, there's an asterisk instead of the U in unfuck because we like to be polite. Or just click the link to it in the podcast description for this show. I'll see you over there. You're listening to The Lawyer Stress Solution, the only podcast that teaches you cognitive science-based techniques specifically created for lawyers. Learn how to manage your lawyer brain and conquer the stress, anxiety, and overwhelm of lawyer life. Here's your host, former lawyer and certified master coach, Kara Lowenthal. Good morning, everyone. It's morning here, at least, where I'm recording this in a hotel on my way to a week of retreats. I'm going to a yoga retreat, and then I'm going to a business retreat. So it's super exciting, all parts of my life, getting a little rejuvenation. But I love you all too much to leave you for a week without a podcast, so I brought my microphone with me, and I'm recording in a hotel. I'm somewhere in Delaware on my way to North Carolina. And I guess it may not be morning when you're listening, but I'm loving meeting you podcast listeners. And I had a consultation call with one of you this week. And when she answered the phone, she said, oh, I hear your voice every morning on my way to work. So it's so cool to hear it on the phone. So now I like to think of you all listening when you're commuting. And obviously, I felt like a law podcast celebrity, which is the highest form of celebrity a lawyer can really aspire to. (laughs) So The real reason, though, that I love you podcast listeners, other than the fact that you listen to my voice all the time, is because the ones of you I've talked to on the phone are really ready to do the work. You've been listening to the podcast, and you understand the basic concepts, and you're ready to commit to actually applying what you've learned and changing your life. It's just an amazing thing to behold as a teacher to see your students really learning and listening and taking notes and trying to truly apply what you're teaching. And I find you're really already a step ahead when it comes to learning to coach yourself if you're a regular podcast listener. So if that's where you are, if you've been working on coaching yourself, but you're feeling stuck or you're still feeling a lot of anxiety or stress, I want to make you an offer if that's okay. I've got a couple of spots left in my small group program, which starts in September. It's called the Lawyer Stress Edition Small Group Program, because you know all lawyer titles have to have a colon, right? (laughs) Every academic article I wrote had to have a colon. I love teaching these small groups so much, because we go deep, but we have so much fun. It's like transformation and laughter, which is the best combination. So I'm going to be teaching you how your brain really works and what really works to change it. You'll learn all about your particular lawyer brain, what its patterns are, why you haven't been able to change it on your own, and what tools will actually make the difference. At the end of the six weeks, you'll be less stressed out, you'll be less anxious, you'll be more confident, you'll be more organized, and you'll be more productive. You'll have more time for family and fun. And yeah, I mean, even those of you at law firms. And you'll have new friends from the program too, which is awesome because Probably not everyone in your life understands what you're talking about when all of a sudden you start talking about how your lawyer brain and your thoughts cause your feelings, (laughs) right? I know when I first started doing this work, I was like a crazy little proselytizer and I was telling everyone about it all the time. 
And like a lot of people are just not interested in changing their lives. You know, they don't really want to take responsibility for their thoughts and feelings. They don't really want to feel better and they just don't really want to hear it all the time. So it was so important for me to have a community of people who are also learning this work and wanted to talk about it and wanted to practice and wanted to give support and advice. And it helped me in my self-coaching evolution so much to have that rather than me trying to do it all on my own. So it's just the best. And I would love to hang out with you guys. So if you're interested, you can check it out at www.thelawyerstresssolution.com forward slash small group. And it starts in mid-September. So it's filling up. There's not a ton of time. So get on it, people. All right. One bit of podcast business before I dive in. This week, I was interviewed for Heather Hubbard's podcast, which is called Hustle and Flow. Such a great name. We talked about what creates lawyer brain, procrastination, and the productivity matrix, right? That sounds mysterious and interesting. So you can check out that episode. It'll be released on Tuesday, August 22nd, and you can find it on iTunes under Hustle and Flow, episode 29. And if you're not familiar with Heather, totally check out her podcast. She talks a lot about kind of how to be a lawyer and enjoy your life at the same time. All right, to the meat of it. Today, we are talking about rejection. Or in other words, the least favorite experience of almost every human being on the planet. Humans in general do not like rejection. And lawyers specifically don't like rejection because it combines with their other favorite thing in the world, which is catastrophizing. So when a lawyer experiences rejection, they basically feel like the world is ending and they're going to die, or at least end up in the van down by the river. So to understand why, let's back up a bit. First, what is rejection? Right? We all have this kind of intuitive understanding of what we think that is, but what is it actually? Psychologists define rejection as the act of pushing something or someone away. So if a romantic prospect turns you down for a second date, if you don't get a job, if you're trying to develop new business and the prospect says no, right, the potential client turns you down, those are like obvious forms of rejection. Rejection is so painful because of our evolutionary history. As I tell my clients all the time, humans are a social species. Evolutionarily speaking, we have evolved in small groups where we need the cooperation of other group members to survive. So to put it really simply, if your fellow group members rejected you, you are more likely to actually die. So if you're really sensitive to rejection, on the other hand, right, if you could pick up on shifts in how other people are treating you, you are more likely to have time and inclination and kind of notice to adjust your behavior and get back in their good graces. And thus, you're more likely to survive and pass down those sensitive genes. So over millions of years, evolution has selected for the trait of being really super sensitive to what we perceive as social rejection. So that's why when you experience rejection, it feels like you're going to die. That's because your primitive brain actually thinks that's what will literally happen. We've talked a lot about how your brain always basically thinks you're going to die. <laughs> when it comes to rejection, there's a little bit more of a good reason for having evolved that way. And studies have actually shown that when we experience rejection, the same areas that indicate physical pain show up on MRI scans. There's interesting new research going on right now about the impact of painkillers on psychological pain. So for instance, there's been an experiment that shows if you take Tylenol during a breakup, it reduces the emotional pain you feel. And in one experiment about rejection, giving participants Tylenol before creating a scenario in which they suffered a minor rejection, I think the experiment was like, there were going to be two people playing ball and they were going to exclude the experiment subject. So if you gave the experiment subject Tylenol first, they found that rejection less distressing. So 
<laughs> this does not mean, in my opinion, that popping Tylenol all day is the solution. <laughs> right? We're going to do the thought work element of this. Don't turn off this podcast and run to the drugstore and stock up on Tylenol because that's not a good solution, partly because taking Tylenol all the time has other negative effects for your body and partly because as an evolving human being, you should learn how to manage your thoughts and feelings, right? What if the world runs out of Tylenol? We don't want to be stuck. But all that is to say that rejection creates a serious physical response. Now, that's not weird to us as listeners of this podcast, right? Because we know that our thoughts create our feelings. And we know that our feelings are just physical sensations in our bodies. So it's not surprising that people who feel the emotion of rejection regularly sleep worse, right? Have poor immune system function and report overall lower health outcomes. Now, I just said something important, which was the emotion of rejection. Rejection is an emotion in the way we're going to be talking about it in this podcast. There are concrete times that someone says no to something that you have asked them to do or that you have tried to get from them, right? And so sometimes we call that a rejection, right, in like a noun sense. But mostly when I'm talking about rejection, I'm talking about the emotion of rejection, right? Because remember, an external circumstance never causes our feelings. So someone rejecting us, quote unquote, from a job, that's not an emotional rejection, unless we create the emotion of rejection with our thinking. We're going to talk more about this later in the podcast. So we know rejection activates the same parts of your brain as pain activates, right? And we know it's an emotion. Now, what kind of emotion is it? Because most studies don't really focus on what emotion feels like in the body, which is one of the reasons I teach so much about it in this podcast, there's not as much information out there about this. But I think that for me, at least, rejection feels like a mixture of anxiety and shame. And then it's like, bundle those together and multiply them by 10. It feels like shame in the sense that there's like a bottoming out in my stomach and a flush in my face. Then there's also an agitated rising feeling and a quickening heartbeat, which feels like anxiety. I think this kind of makes sense, right? Because rejection is basically made up of two different parts, which is shame about your perceived inadequacies that led to the rejection, and then anxiety about the consequences of that rejection. So to me, rejection, feeling like a combination of shame and anxiety, totally makes sense. And it's really painful. And we've talked about the evolutionary reasons why. So it's not surprising that people really want to avoid rejection as much as possible. Unfortunately, that is not an option, even if you take Tylenol. So we need to know how to deal with it, right? What are we going to do about this feeling that most people will do anything to avoid? So the way I teach this is that I think the first step is actually determining whether rejection is truly happening, right? So there is obvious rejection, the kind I talked about earlier. You don't get the job, you get dumped, you get fired. Somebody actually says no to you, right? This is actually the smaller category of rejection we experience because most of these things are not super common unless you are in sales professionally or you go on five dates a week or something. Most of the time, your day does not consist of constantly making offers and asking people for things and being told no, right? If you are selling knives door to door, then actually it probably does. (laughs) I'm sure there's a sales podcast for you. But what that means for the rest of us is that most of the rejection that we experience on a daily basis is not actually rejection, right? So any rejection we experience is emotionally rejection, 
but most of it is prompted by things that are not actually concretely a rejection. They're not actually a situation where someone says no to you. They're not actually a situation where you've asked directly for something and someone has refused. So why do we see rejection constantly? Well, think about it. If rejection is a literal threat to your survival, then according to your primitive brain, right, you're going to be scanning for rejection all the time. And when you're a lawyer and you're super worried about making mistakes and what authority figures think of you, you're going to be scanning for possible rejection even more than a normal human who already does it a lot. So in any given situation, you're going to be subconsciously scanning for any evidence that someone doesn't like you, doesn't approve of you, doesn't think you do good work, is disappointed in you, right? The list goes on and on. And we know it's the first principle of brains. They see what they're looking for, right? We know that brains are like pattern-seeking machines. If you've been listening to this podcast, you may remember I've talked before about the basketball and gorilla example. That's what I use as the shorthand. If you're new, the short version is that if you show a person a video and ask them to count how often someone dribbles a ball, they will focus on that and they will probably get it right. They'll completely miss the part where a man in a gorilla suit walks through the screen. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but it's 100% true. I've done the experiment myself before I knew about it. So I wasn't biased. The brain looks for whatever you tell it to look for. And if you don't set the controls consciously, which most of us do not, it will just seek out whatever it's been unconsciously programmed to find. So if you're worried about rejection, your brain will be constantly looking around for rejection. And because brains find what they seek, it will find it. That means you're going to see rejection in places that rejection really doesn't exist. And if you tell your brain, I'm always being rejected, look for it all the time, it's dangerous, your brain will interpret things that actually have nothing to do with you or are not rejections as being rejections. So if your colleagues happen to go out to lunch without you, you're going to interpret that as rejection. If you get edits back on a memo draft, you're going to interpret that as rejection. If you get feedback about how to improve during a review, you're going to interpret that as rejection. I guarantee right now so many of you are inflicting the suffering of rejection, the emotion, on yourselves, and you don't even know it. So here's an example of what Lawyer Brain does with rejection. Many of my clients are deeply afraid of disappointing someone they work for. But the truth is that that fear is often not actually about disappointing the other person, right? Because we don't feel another person's feelings. It's about the rejection they're afraid they will feel if the other person expresses their disappointment. So this is true always. Whenever we are worried about, quote unquote, what someone else is going to feel, it is not about that person. If that person felt it but never communicated or expressed it and you had no idea, you wouldn't care. It's always about what you're going to think and feel if you know or suspect the other person has that feeling. So let's break down an example. Last week, I was coaching one of my clients who's actually a podcast listener And she was feeling rejected because she was working with another associate on a case, and the partner had asked the other associate to take the first crack at drafting an important letter. So rationally, logically, she knew it wasn't a big deal, quote unquote, and that she'd written lots of drafts of things before, and she would write lots of drafts of things again, right? This is what lawyering is. But she couldn't understand why emotionally she was still dwelling on it. She was like, intellectually, I get it. It's not a big deal, but I cannot stop thinking about it, and I'm feeling really physically terrible. The reason she felt terrible is that she was interpreting the memo assignment as rejection. Unconsciously, she was assuming that it meant something bad about her abilities and that the partner was rejecting her personally as a lawyer. It wasn't until we took that apart and came up with a new thought she could believe about what had happened that she felt better. 
Now, here's the real bottom line about rejection. The reason it hurts so much when you interpret someone else's behavior as rejecting you is that you are really rejecting yourself. Let's say that again. The reason it hurts so much when you think that someone else is rejecting you is because you're rejecting yourself. The initial sting of rejection is one thing, right? It's still caused by your thoughts. It can totally be fixed by changing them, but it's not a huge deal. Someone says no to something you want or something you've asked them. That's fine. They said no. It's not a big deal. What makes rejection so terrible is that when your brain thinks you are perceiving or receiving rejection, it uses that as an excuse to be a total asshole, (laughs) right? To be really mean to you. It starts listing all your rejections in life, right? It hypothesizes about what is so terrible about you that you deserve rejection, and it projects out in the future to more rejections and what will happen. And we all know where that ends, right? Say it together, class, living alone in a van down by the river. It's so important to understand the worst rejection you will ever experience is when you reject yourself. You're the only one who can always have your own back. You're the only one whose thoughts and opinions and feelings you can control. So if you don't believe you are worthy, you're going to look for confirmation of your unworthiness everywhere else. If you are constantly rejecting yourself, you're going to see rejection all around you. Honestly, although I teach a lot about stress and anxiety, and I work on those things all the time with my clients, One of the deepest things that I work with people on, one of the deepest kinds of work there is, is believing in your own worthiness, right? Having your own back, believing that you have value, knowing you can take care of yourself and knowing that you are valuable and worthy and good enough, right? This is one of the things that kind of underlies all the other work that we talk about. And it's something I work with people on all the time because the lack of self-worth. I mean, I kind of hate that word. It's a little clinical, but just the constant feeling that like you're not enough, there's something wrong with you that isn't wrong with everyone else, right? The constant sense that like you're never going to be good enough. You're never really going to be accepted. All of that is coming from believing that about yourself and not accepting yourself, right? Rejecting yourself over and over every day. And I think so many of us think that that can't even be fixed. Like I can't, you know, I'll have consultation calls with people and we talk about this and it's something I can solve. (laughs) It's something that you can solve working with me. And people will sort of say, well, I don't know, you know, it's going to take some time or it's going to take some money or I'm not sure the timing is quite right. And I just think like, what time is better? What better use of money or time is there then fundamentally learning how to feel like you belong and are validly taking up space in the world and that you're good enough to be happy and to have what you want, right? Like fundamentally, what else is there? Anyway, that is my soapbox about (laughs) quote unquote self-love and self-worth, but it's so important. And it's not about working with me, like working with anyone, spending the time or the energy or the money or whatever you can invest in learning to truly believe that you're okay the way you are is the best investment you will ever make in your whole life, right? And it's just a natural kind of outgrowth of the topic we're talking about today because as I've been teaching, the reason rejection hurts so much is that you are rejecting yourself. 
you are making someone else's decision to say no, which often has nothing to do with you. You're using that as evidence of your own flaws and your own inadequacies, and you're using it to reject yourself. It's like you take it like a bludgeon and you hit yourself with it, right? Someone says no, or someone gives an opportunity to someone else, or someone just does something in their own life that really has nothing to do with you for their own reasons, and you basically like wrest that decision out of their hands and then use it to smash yourself in the face with it. And that's why it's so painful. So, you know, this is a deep and painful topic for a lot of people, but working on the sort of bottom levels of rejection and why it feels so terrible really involves learning to accept and love yourself so that you don't even have the desire to take whatever is going on in someone else's life that has very little to do with you and use it to beat yourself up with it. All right. So those are my (laughs) deep thoughts about your feelings. (laughs) Let me give you something more practical you can also do. Here's what I want you to try the next time you feel rejected. So first, I want you to identify what actually happened in plain and neutral language. The partner signed the brief to X. I got a text that said Y three people went to lunch together. Like those are neutral circumstances that happen. Then you need to figure out what are you making that mean, right? Ask yourself, how is this a rejection of me? Or why do I feel rejected right now, right? Just ask yourself those questions. Your brain will tell you the answers. Whatever your brain says back to those questions is your interpretation of the situation. And that interpretation, that thought is what causes the feeling of rejection, right? So if the circumstance is three people went to lunch together, ask yourself, why, how is this a rejection of me? And your brain will say, they don't like you. If they really liked you, they would have invited you. This is just like middle school (laughs) when no one liked you, right? That's what your brain will say. That's the thought that's causing the intense feeling of rejection. Be sure to notice any additional thoughts your brain is having also, right? Because your brain will have this meta thought about the rejection often, like, you never know how to make friends, right? Or you're behind everyone else in your drafting skills. Or see, you're terrible at this. This is the wrong career for you, right? Notice how your brain is rejecting you, how you're rejecting yourself, and how you're using an external circumstance that you really have no idea why it happened. You're taking that and your brain is using it as evidence that not only are you being rejected in this moment, so your brain is inventing that, And then your brain is using its own invention to justify the mean stories you tell yourself on a kind of meta level about yourself as a person. This is why rejection feels terrible, right? It's a lot. So if you've figured out what the neutral circumstance is and you've figured out what you're thinking about it that's causing rejection, the final step is to redefine what happened. So in the circumstance where I actually get quote unquote rejected, like directly, right? I asked someone, you know, I asked someone out in the past or I asked for a raise or I applied for a job and didn't get it. Or I mean, now I'm a coach. So like I talked to a potential client and they say no, right? That's technically a rejection. They said no. I like to define rejection as someone just saying no thank you to something I've offered them. That's all. They're just saying no thank you, right? If I talk to a potential client, and they decide they don't want to work with me, they're just saying no thank you, right? It's just not the right fit for them. It doesn't resonate. It doesn't make sense to them. They don't believe they can change. They don't want to change. Whatever it is, right? That's all. They're not saying I don't deserve love. They're not saying I'm a failure. They're not saying I'm not good enough. They're just saying no thank you. 
And that's true for you too. When someone says no to something you want, that's all. They're just saying no thank you. They are not saying you don't deserve love. That's your brain. They aren't saying you're a failure. That's your brain. They're not saying you're not good enough. Again, that's just your brain saying that. It's not them. And the truth is other people are totally allowed to have their own preferences and say no thank you. It's not their job to rescue us from our own brains, right? By giving us exactly what we want if they're not interested in that. That's not their job, right? No one else can rescue you from your own brain and it's not anybody else's job to do it. But that's what happens. We want other people to say yes to us, to accept us, to give us what we think we want just so that we won't have to have a thought we don't like that will make us feel rejected. It's not anyone else's job. It's your job to manage your own thoughts and feelings, to deal with your own brain constantly seeking rejection, to practice thinking a new way to sort of rewire the part of your brain that is always looking for evidence that you are not good enough. That's your job. So that's what I like to think about in the circumstance where actually I made an offer and someone says no. In the circumstance where nothing actually happened, which is the vast majority of them, right, where I didn't get explicitly rejected at all, and my brain is actually just interpreting someone else's actions as a personal rejection of me, right, that's when I like to come up with at least three alternative explanations for the other person's behavior that have nothing to do with me. So again, there are situations where you actually ask for something and someone says no. So in that situation, I like to just think what they're saying is like, no, thank you, right? And anything else I make it mean is my thoughts. And then there's a the much bigger group of situations, circumstances, where literally nothing has happened. I didn't even ask somebody for something, right? It's just somebody went to lunch with someone else or somebody assigned the draft of the memo to someone else, right? Or somebody didn't respond to something I said in the way I wanted them to. All those situations where actually the other person wasn't even really thinking about me probably and wasn't doing anything to communicate anything to me. In those circumstances, that's when I do the alternative list. So I come up with at least three alternative explanations for the other person's behavior that have nothing to do with me. So I want you to do that. Actually make a list, like write it down. Then read the list and see how you feel when you practice those thoughts. I guarantee they will feel better than whatever you were thinking before. All right, my lovelies. Just spend this week practicing noticing where your brain is creating rejection and inflicting it on you. Notice how often you are rejecting yourself. And if you are ready to not only feel less stressed and feel less anxious and get more done at work, but actually just like yourself as a human, right? Actually believe that like your happiness has value, that you have value and that you're okay. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just your brain being mean. If you're ready to learn how to distinguish that skill and really rewire your brain to stop always looking for rejection and instead create feelings of security and safety and love, then the small group I talked about at the beginning of this episode is a great way. It'll teach you how to coach yourself correctly and effectively, right? It's easy to listen to something and then try to apply it and not quite do it right and have it not quite work and not really know what went wrong, right? I've definitely, when I started learning how to coach myself, I was doing it on my own before I started working with a coach and it was a mess. Like it was helpful, definitely it helped, but I did not really know what I was doing. So the details are at www.thelawyerstresssolution.com forward slash small group. So again, it's just the name of the podcast is the website 
forward slash small group. So come hang out with me. Come learn about your brain. Come feel better. It is truly, truly the best investment you can make in your personal happiness or your professional success. All right. I love you all. I will talk to you next week. If this episode was speaking your language, sounded like it was in your brain, I want you to come check out The Clutch because it will help you unfuck any relationship in your life. If you want to learn how to show up confidently in work relationships, family relationships, friendships, and romantic relationships, or in your parenting, The Clutch will be your lifeline. It comes tailor-made with a community of badass women doing this life-changing work alongside you, along with monthly coaching calls and daily expert coaching on any relationship you're working on, including your relationship with yourself. Check it out at unfuckyourbrain.com forward slash the clutch, or you can just text your email to 347-934-8861. If you text your email address to that number, we will text you right back with a link to check out everything you need to know to join. I can't wait to see you there.